Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim and so you have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you know, we have a lot to contend with in life. Just the basics can often overwhelm us. Relationships, love, family, jobs, keeping a home, raising kids. The list is rather long. Add to that list the world and our place in it. Politics, war, our contribution to society, and all that piled upon one another it brings us to the boiling point. How can we cope with all that is pressing in on us? Let me pray for us, and then we might discover some ways of coping with the world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and be with us here in this time of worship. Clear our minds, mend our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts combined be pleasing to you, O Lord. You are our rock and redeemer. And so we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, God's people just cannot live peacefully. Not a peaceful and a quiet life can be found. It seems there's plenty of trouble all the time. It was true for the Israelites and although the issues are slightly different, it's pretty much the same for us today. We deal with many of society's problems right here in the church. 
That's the nature of the church. Many people, I think, believe that the church should be this tranquil, peaceable sanctuary, much different from the world outside. But the reality is that the world comes in here, or it should, to find God. And so we must deal with all of society's problems whenever, however, they show themselves. The church has no other choice but to deal with the same problems that plague society. It's who we are. The Apostle Paul knew that. He knew it very well. Here in our scripture lesson for today, Paul is dealing with the people of Corinth. You see, this, this congregation, probably fewer than 100 folks, had issues. Lots of them. A laundry list of questions they had sent to Paul as it was as long as your arm, maybe both arms. Lawsuits, sexual issues, prostitution, questions about marriage, arguments about gifts, and status and worship in the Lord's Supper. And it just went on and on. But on top of that list, that list of things that they all fought over, they also listed their argument whether a real resurrection was all that big of a deal. You see, some were denying it. Others were saying it was just a little too hard to believe that story, so maybe it could be optional to the faith. Could one do without believing in the resurrection of the body and still be a Christian? And still others had even more sophisticated arguments, wondering how a physical body could be part of a spiritual being. They ask, what is a spiritual body? Isn't that an oxymoron? Isn't that as nonsensical as the term married bachelor? It really shocked Paul. I can just imagine Paul getting to this part of the letter he had received from Corinth and, and just hanging his head and sighing and and perhaps saying to himself, what am I to do with these people? I can't let this go. I can't let them mess this up. They have to understand. And all that other stuff that they had listed, the questions about marriage and, and gifts and the lot, that's important too. And in fact, Paul had dealt with just about all of that in the first 14 chapters of his letter to the Corinthians. And here in the 15th chapter, he's back at the church and it's time to lower the boom. It's time to let them have it. Take away the resurrection, Paul writes, and it's all over. You're done because if Christ is not raised the first fruits of all the rest of us having the same thing happen to us one day. Well, it's not going to happen. 
We've not just been deluded of this belief. We're not just mistaken or a little off base. No, we're pathetic. We're pitiful creatures offering up our very lives to an illusion. Well, Paul will go on in chapter 15 to try to help people wrap their heads around us this admitted oxymoron, a spiritual body. Think about those words, spiritual body. They really don't go together. Maybe we can't understand exactly all of this just now, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Jesus has a real body. And, and that body is in the mode of resurrection life. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's tangible and imperishable, all of those things. And if that seems odd to you, well then, it is something that is kind of hard to wrap your head around, but that's often true of those things that we call miracles, isn't it? And, and what do we say every time we celebrate Holy Communion? We, we call for the mystery of our faith. And isn't that the meaning, the true meaning of the word faith itself? To just believe because we believe. Do we really need an explanation? And so it really shouldn't surprise us, it shouldn't unsettle us that here we're having a little trouble understanding the spiritual body, the idea that, that defies our common thoughts, that this is what we can and should expect for ourselves, just as Jesus received his spiritual body. Do we believe in the resurrection of the body? Do we even know what that really is? Well, that's the thing. As we face these difficult things in, in life and here in church and, and we deal with the problems of society, we can't lose sight of the real reason, the real truth that we believe. Our lesson here in 1 Corinthians today proclaims the resurrection as our number one message in the church. It was true in Paul's day and it's still true today. It hasn't changed. The resurrection of the body, that's, that's the unexpected inbreaking of God's renewed creation it's god coming into our our time and our space right now right here it represents our very future in god's kingdom and you know what it's good news for everyone because even those filled with unbelief can be included just like paul you remember Paul, if you don't, Paul is the former Saul of Tarsus. And so here the apostle is painfully aware of, 
of how undeserving he really is because of his former self. And surely Paul is now haunted with the memories of all the families that he broke up, the men that he brutalized, the women that he dragged off to jail, all in his Pharisee zeal to rid the world of the gospel. To rid the world of the very Jesus who was at the center of it all. You know, this all seems to me to be a painful truth because, well, it represents a lot of people today. But you know, that very Jesus, undeniably alive, despite having been crossed out by the Romans, had compassion on Saul. Jesus lavished Saul with his grace all on this violent man who had hated the very name and the very idea of Jesus. Now, that's what I would call an unexpected salvation. But it somehow fit. It fits the Savior who, who had an unexpected resurrection of his own one Sunday morning, back from the grave, It shocked the world and continues to shock the world with, with that gracious salvation that knows no bounds, no signs of, of ever disappearing. Even 2,000 years later, here in the future, no evidence that it will ever end. So Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand that all these arguments, all these societal problems that they may have pale in comparison to the promise of the resurrection of the body. If we really believe that, then why are we arguing about petty things? But you know what? Paul is so patient with his congregation there in Corinth, so compassionate and caring. He says that he wants to remind them of the good news of the gospel. <laughs> remind them. Remind them. Reminding someone is what you do when you have to take out the garbage or when you have a dentist appointment. But do you remind someone of this incredible work of God. But you know, Paul really does wield a fatherly authority. He doesn't really let on, but I think most people recognize it, that tells the people there in Corinth, don't mess with me or you'll be punished. You'd better listen up because we're not talking about going to the dentist or taking out the garbage. We're talking about defining your eternal life. He says remind, I think, because he knew that they already knew this, but had obviously just forgotten how important and how central a part it plays in their lives. Maybe sometimes in the church today, we do too, though we don't mean to. 
not usually. And you don't have to be, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't have to be in denial. No. You don't have to deny the resurrection to simply forget how powerful it can be. So maybe we need to be reminded of this from time to time. Because honestly, when we argue over things like being Democrat or Republican, or we express our views on human sexuality, or even try to say anything about other religions, we rarely, if ever, frame our words inside that very vital message, that message of such importance, the resurrection. Maybe we think it's just assumed. But if the reality of Jesus having been raised from the dead is not the center of all we do and advocate for all that we talk about as Christians, then what is? And if we're not framing up our spiritual and our societal and our political concerns inside the reality of Easter, then what is the frame of reference that we use when engaging the world? Remember, the world is what the church must relate to in everything we say and everything we do. You know, this last week <clears throat> in the news, I heard, now, um, <clears throat> this has to do with the Boy Scouts of America bankruptcy case. And we in the church have been working on this since last September. Because as you may know, I may, you may not, uh, the Boy Scouts of America as an organization had to file chapter 13 uh, bankruptcy protection because of all the lawsuits that were being filed on behalf of children who had been sexually abused in scouting programs. And the United Methodist Church is one of the largest chartering organizations of scouting programs all through the United States. So it's incredible to know that the church who says do no harm has done just that, or at least been a part of it. And so as we work to reconcile our position in this whole tragedy, I'll call it a tragedy because it is, we have to recognize and frame this in terms of our belief in the resurrection. That may be hard for us to do that. But if we believe, if we truly believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and promised that we would be too, then we change how we look at the life we live in the present It's by our living and our dying and our striving that we can transform the world. And that's the mission to 
make disciples for the transformation of the world. But it's by Jesus' resurrection that we believers are transformed. So I need to remind you of what is of first importance Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In our lives here and now, and the things that we work for within the church have a far-reaching effect in society. We may not think that. We may forget a little bit because we don't see the results and we don't see people flocking into our sanctuaries. But actually, the world is here. The world is watching us. And so maybe, just maybe, Paul is writing that letter to us today. Let us pray. Father God, remind us that we are yours. Remind us that our future is delivered to us through Christ our Lord. Remind us that in our living, the resurrected Christ is made known to the world. Amen.